Nerdcast. This is episode number 119. My name is CJ Schrader, and with me, as always, my two drafty co-hosts. First off, we have Jess Dunks. Hey, this is Jess. And Brian Brillman. Hey, boy, it sure is nice having all these lights on, and <laughs> electricity, and, and television. How about you, Jess? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brian is making fun of me because for... Uh... For a little more than a day, I was without power because of a storm down here where I live and a tornado that occurred. Uh, but I am fine. Everyone is fine. We're all good, in case you were wondering. Now I have power again and also a television. Thank you very much. <laughs> See, so we are enjoying television and lights and, and refrigerators and stuff. I, I am. I'm enjoying it more than I was two days ago. Yeah, that's true. Uh <laughs> Did you have that moment? Did you have that moment where you figure you got to eat the stuff in the refrigerator or else it'll go bad? Um. So... Yes, I, I I did. Fortunately, I was in a position where I had procrastinated on grocery shopping and it kind of paid off. <laughs> uh, that's so glass were, half full. That's totally glass half full. So there were, there were there were a couple things that went bad, but like they were almost gone anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, this episode is not about what food went bad in Jess's uh, refrigerator. It is actually it's about episode, emails. <laughs> As promised last time, we, uh, we're going to dedicate this show solely to emails because we've had a lot of big shows lately and we haven't been able to read any emails at all. We're actually quite backlogged. Um, as a general note, we always reply to emails eventually, but we may not always read them on the air. So you guys ready to dive right into some emails? Uh, yeah. What, what time would you say that is? <laughs> Real time. <laughs> uh, all right. The first one comes from Mike Jacobs, not to be confused with Mike Michael Jacob, the pro player. Uh, Mike Jacobs is a friend of mine, and he actually got me back into Magic, which eventually led me to me becoming a judge, which eventually led to me being on JudgeCast. So you can thank him for all of this, and that's why his email is getting read. It's called nepotism. Or blame. Or blame. Uh, he says, hello, judges. Love the show. And I don't know why he emailed and didn't just ask me, but either way. Uh, he says, I have a question about what to do at an event if a judge makes a call about a card or play that is incorrect. Um, and then he actually has a specific example about Luminarch Ascension. Um, you know, there was a time when that card was out. We had issues with player, or players and apparently even judges not understanding, um, let's see here, how it interacted with poison counters. Um, so I'm not going to read the whole thing here. But the general gist is a judge made a ruling. You know it's wrong. Um, there's no one else to appeal to. What do you do? That's a tough one. That is, there is an answer, but it's a very tough question. Um, so the first, the most important thing is to not get like too upset, right? Like I've been in this position where I know that a judge is, in, is mistaken about something and it's very easy to like kind of get upset because you're like, you're the judge, you're supposed to know this and you don't. Uh, but uh, judges are human. They make mistakes. I have definitely made mistakes that I shouldn't have and, and, so keep in mind that judges are prone to making mistakes too. So um, if there's obviously if a floor judge messed up, you could appeal to the head judge. But if there's no head judge, um, you can still explain why you think it's the way it is to the judge. Um, yeah, and go ahead. I I want to remind you to to definitely keep it civil. Any anything that we're going to describe as far as like what to say and how to do. You want to you want to keep it civil. You don't want to get frustrated or or start getting condescending or or, or accusatory. And the yes. reason the reason the reason why is 
if if you if you put try to put the judge or make if you make the judge defensive, then you're really just making him or her double down on their decision. Okay, in 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 a sense of you know just when two people start arguing, if you come at somebody over something uh, very aggressively, it's very unlikely for them to be like, yeah, you convinced me. You know, I'm changing my mind. No, it's going to be just the opposite. They're going to they're going to they're it's going to strengthen their resolve on their opinion and mm-hmm. they're going to they're going to push back. So that's obviously not the desired result. So you definitely want to make sure that your tone, your body language, your word choice, all of that stuff keeps it calm and civil and under control. Yeah. And regardless, I'm, I'm, regardless of what the stakes are. I have in the past been guilty of not doing that. And I can tell you from experience, it does not work to get upset. Um, so don't do it. Um, if you if you are 100% certain or even largely certain that the ruling is wrong, calmly explain why you think it's that way and maybe ask if they can check. Are, um, are, you, are you sure? I think I, I think I read a rule that said, you know, X, X, Y, Z and mm-hmm. or I read an article that said X, Y, Z or something like that. Right. Uh, give give some evidence to support what you think the rule is, uh, you know, ask, ask them to check and they might, they might say no <laughs> in, in terms of, uh, well, we'll talk about it afterwards or something like that because, mm-hmm. uh, they, they keep, they can, I mean, maybe they're, maybe they are just as confident in their ruling as you're at, you are in how you think it works. Yeah. There are two important things to consider here. And, um, the first one is that the head judge, can make a ruling that is wrong and you have to abide by it. And that's unfortunate that that can happen. But at that point, once you've explained it and the head does no, this is, I need you to keep playing now or whatever it is they say, that's going to be the end of that argument. And you can talk to him about it later, but you got to keep playing your game of magic. And the second thing is, there is a possibility that you are mistaken about how this works and that the judge is actually right. Uh, so continuing to argue about that is unhelpful in either of these circumstances, and it is best to continue playing and then talk to the dodo later on. Yep. So that's yeah. about it. Yeah, I'd say I think the main thing there is is what you just said is you know what even if even if you're 100 percent guaranteed sure he's wrong, well, it's unfortunate, but sometimes it happens, and, and you got to keep playing. Like yeah, yeah. so, and and it's necessary. The head the head judge necessarily has the power to be wrong. Yeah. All right, our next email uh, just came in from a B. Prill. I'd like to... I'm sorry, go ahead. I would like to know what's in Jess's fridge. Oh, report spam. Oh. All right, go ahead, Uh, Jess. I was going to say the the head judge does have the power to be wrong. That is true. But if you are a head judge on the other side of that coin, you also have the responsibility to try and make sure you're correct. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, So if a player says... Are you certain? I'm pretty sure it works this way, thusly. And it is something that you can check easily, which you should be able to if you have access to the internet. Um, yeah, usually just looking up like a gatherer ruling can sometimes yeah. get you there. Uh, so so don't be afraid to take a moment to double check yourself uh, if the player is very certain that, that they're correct. Um, don't be afraid to tell them that that's your ruling, but also be sure if, that, that, you know, if they are showing you that respect of, of calmly discussing it, if the situation allows, show them the respective double-checking the ruling. Okay. Sorry, that's all I wanted to say about No, that's fine. I, I knew that was a, a larger topic. Uh, all right, our next email comes from Kevin. I think that's why people like like the email shows, because we just we cover a wide breadth of topics instead of just one thing. I agree. Um, kind of shotgun it. Yeah. 
but we got we got a we got a good mix this time. All right, next email comes from Kevin. He says, "I was recently playing at a PTQ. Oh no, is this email so old that there's still PTQs? No, it's not that old. He <laughs> must have been at a PPTQ, and I don't know if the judge's fix was correct. I was playing Death and Taxes and had a Thalia out. My opponent playing Elves announced that he cast a Green Sun Zenith for one, but only paid two mana for it. He then picked up his deck before I had a chance to mention Thalia. Judge ruled he had cast Green Sun Zenith as X equals zero and issued a game rule violation." Was this the right fix? Should he have gotten the spell back? So Thalia makes it cost one more. And uh, who was playing Legacy at a PTQ? Oh my god! That's right. I've never seen one, and soon we will never see one. Wait, it's not even legal today. Hold on. Could this not? Maybe, uh, maybe. Is there, is there a modern version? Of... I no, because Green Sun Zenith isn't legal. Um, oh I right, think, right. I guess I this think, was a legit uh, PTQ. No, there were there could have been legacy PPTQs in the first season, I think. Uh, I don't I think, think so. it's always been modern or standard. Uh, anyway, so, whether it was a PTQ or whatever, let's let's answer. Yeah, but. so Green Sun Zenith is X and a green, and then you search your library for a green creature card with converted mana cost X or less, put it on the battlefield, shuffle, and then shuffle the Zenith into your library. Um, so the concern here is Thalia makes it cost one more, and in the question, he announces... He announces... Green Sun Zenith for one. For one. And then he pays two mana. So technically, to Green Sun Zenith for one, he needs to pay three total mana because of Thalia. Yeah. Okay. So so this is this is kinda kinda interesting. Um if so we've got we've got a shortcut that says if you're if you're casting a spell uh with X in it in the in the mana cost, it's assumed to uh X is assumed to be whatever the remaining mana in your mana pool is. So if you, you know, let's say without Thalia or anything like that, if you green sun zenith and tap four land, X is going to be three without without doing anything. Okay. So so the shortcut is whatever's left. Okay. Then you got Thalia. And the question is, well, is whatever left, is that after you deduct the one from the Thalia or not? Okay, so that's that's one question. Uh, this, this particular one, he actually says that he announced Green Sun Zenith for one. So I would actually say if I announce Green Sun Zenith for one, then its total cost is going to be three with Thalia and I only paid two. That's a GRV. That's not me casting Green Sun Zenith for zero. Do you guys, do you guys agree with that? Like if I actually yeah. announced Green Sun Zenith for one and then tap only two mana, I didn't cast Green Sun Zenith for zero. I agree. Right. Yep. Okay. But, but... If I if I just said Green Sun Zenith and tap two land, what did what did I do? Did I tap did I did I cast Green Sun Zenith for one and then forget to pay for Thalia? Or did I cast Green Sun Zenith for zero because uh, uh because the Thalia took the, the one extra mana away? And the answer is actually um either. <laughs> Um, and this is this is a really this is a really unsatisfying answer. Um, however, what we've got is uh, and CJ, if you want to put a link in the show notes, yeah, to the knowledge pool blog where this question came up. I want to say actually we're almost on two years ago now, where a very very similar situation came up, and it was debated back and forth. And what it actually came down to is that uh policy supports either answer hmm. and so the important the important factor is being able to defend your answer and i know i know that's that sounds unsatisfying because in one in one particular situation he's getting 
He's uh, he's Green Sun Zenith, Zenith thing for zero, and the other it's getting a GRV and it's getting put back into his hand. Uh, but yeah, you can actually uh, you can actually find support for either case, and the blog entry that CJ is going to put into the show notes goes into way much more detail than we ever could or were so inclined to. Oh, you linked it in that email. Oh, I did. Oh, you're so kind. Yeah. Oh, I thought well, I, I had to go like, find I it. I, I thought I had to go find it. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I didn't, you know, when it, when it came time to answer the question, I was just like, you know, uh, the, the L4s and the L5s wrote so much down on this topic that I didn't even want to summarize, you know, summarize it and just hear here wow okay well i think that answers kevin's question or not because the answer is yes yeah and 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 so here's the thing um so you look at that and you go well policy come on now you're supposed to cover everything and everything's supposed to have a single answer like math you know like the rules of the game behave a certain way how can how can you have two completely different outcomes and it's like well the the ipg is written in such a way, I think it's like 22, 23 pages right now. If it covered every single situation, it would be thousands and thousands of pages long. It would be impossible to memorize. Right. So what we do is we categorize things into into major categories. We, we create exception cases when they're f- very frequent. And when they're not, we use philosophy to fill in the holes and fill in the gaps between between the, the, the concrete rules. And this is just one of those scenarios where – you know, you can use philosophy here to get one answer and philosophy over here to get another. All right. Let's move on. Our next email is from Alex. He says, hi, guys. It's been a while since my last email, but do not worry. I still listen to JudgeCast almost every week. I was worried. Yeah, if he listened to JudgeCast every week, though, mm-hmm. I would think that'd be pretty I know. I was, I was letting it slide, but he did because he did say almost every week. So... Uh, you've probably already answered this question a million times, but last week and I had a little argument with an opponent about unmorphing creatures at the end of turn, um, at the end of turn phases or steps. I think even at the end of turns, phases or steps. Anyway, uh, my understanding was that even if I have already passed priority to my opponent, the step phase will end only if he also passes priority without taking any additional actions. He was arguing that since I already passed priority, I won't receive it again if he simply unmorphs a creature at that point because unmorphing doesn't use the stack. To be more specific, do I get his chance to do something if, after me declaring attackers and passing priority, my opponent decides to unmorph his creature? Or the nearest point for me to act again will be only after he declares his blockers? This is a pretty straightforward question. Yeah. Um, what the, the, To paraphrase what it's asking is, to when you take an action that doesn't use the stack, does it cause you to pass priority back to your opponent? And the answer is yes. Yes, it does. Whether yep. that action is adding mana to your mana pool or unmorphing a creature or any other special action, uh, you you will – that is an action. And we can't move to the next step until players pass priority without taking an action. Yeah. Yeah. Morphing is a special action, but it's still an action. Still a game action. Yep. Here you go. Yep. Straightforward. Uh, speaking of straightforward, this next email is from Chuck. He says, hi, I'm Chuck from New York. I'm wondering what happens when a player redirects a counter spell like Reman to the redirect spell. Uh, 608.2 says if all targets of a spell are illegal, that the spell gets countered. But what if such a spell like Reman has a targeted portion and the draw? Is the whole spell still countered? If so, is it solely because of 608.2? Thanks in advance. Chuck. So, yeah, this is a tricky play where you can cast a redirect spell like such as redirect 
targeting a counterspell and then change the target of counterspell to the redirect spell while the redirect is resolving. Yep, because because while the redirect is resolving, it is still a spell on the stack. It hasn't it hasn't left this it hasn't left the stack yet. So you are you can redirect a counterspell to the redirect that is in the process of resolving. Yes, I I, I want to uh, quickly address what I think he's asking in regards to cards that do more than one thing. Um, a great example with Remand, it works the way we just described because Remand only has one target. Uh, however, let's say for example. Uh, someone casts cryptic command. <laughs> uh, this is the cl- this is the this is that's the card. Uh, in my mind, I was just like, he's gonna say cryptic command. But the, funny yes. reman does exactly what you're about to say. No, it doesn't. <laughs> okay. Uh, so if the card were, for example, cryptic command, and I choose the modes uh, counter target spell and uh, return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, um, and you redirect it, as long as one of the two targets. Uh, which is the one that is getting bounced, is still legal, then the spell will still do everything that it can. Well, well, let's before, before we go on, um, the reason why it's getting countered is, so you're redirecting the whatever spell to target the remand. Then the remand finishes resolving and gets removed from the stack. So now that spell that was targeting the remand is now targeting empty space. Yeah, uh, you're, uh, you're saying that backwards because the remand is targeting the redirect. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, the, re- yeah, the redirect gets the redirect gets oh, cast, targeting remand. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. You're redirect right. Redirect resolves. Remand is now targeting the redirect, but the too redirect many, is no longer there. Too many bisyllabic words yes. that start with R. Sorry, yes. Except so the redirect the, gets yes. three syllables. So we'll be including a link to a to a chart just for this situation. Wow. No, we won't. No, definitely no. not. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I, I was saying that backwards. So yeah, the the redirect is gone. So the remand is now countering nothing. Um, okay. So that's that's how that works. And sorry. Yeah. Okay. Just so back to back to the point that you were. But what I was saying to. is that because uh, this will still be true that it's targeting nothing for the countering a spell ability for cryptic command. But because it is still targeting a permanent and it is legal to return that permanent, um, then it, it, it will still perform that action because it has one target that is legal. And none of the other modes of cryptic command do that. So, yeah. just that so, this, so the spell the spell's going to try and do as much as possible. If all of the targets for a spell are invalid, then it's countered. So if a spell has one target and you remove that one target, then the spell's going to get countered regardless of what else is on it. Um, if the spell has two targets and one of them gets, uh, one of them is made invalid, the other thing's still going to happen. And if you cast a spell like Hex, which has six targets, in order to counter it, you have to make all six targets illegal in some way. Yeah, but it's really hard to cast because you have to have six targets in the first place. Sure. I, I love Hex. Hex is... <laughs> So so bad. It it's great. unless you're the arch enemy. Look, if you're the arch enemy, it's amazing. <laughs> Look, okay. So the flavor text. Okay, so the card text on hex is destroy six target creatures. The flavor text on this card is when killing five just isn't enough. <laughs> the flavor text really wrote itself. Come on, Jess. <laughs> it costs six mana. The flavor text is six words long. Hex is a six-sided, a hexagon is a six-sided shape. 
there's six figures in the in the artwork. Mm-hmm. No, Come I get on. it. I get it. This is exactly the kind of card that would appeal to you. <laughs> <laughs> such an ass. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's like such a nothing statement, yet had so much insult behind it. <laughs> All right. Isn't it? <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, our next email is from Josh Quimby. He says, to who it may concern, and little lesson on who and whom here, uh, that should say, to whom it may concern. To find out, you repeat the sentence, but then you say it as if you're doing it to they or them. So you'd say, it may concern them. So so you know that whom is on its way to being obsolete, and this is actually technically correct, right? No. I could care less. It is now acceptable. Brian, don't you dare. I couldn't care less. You couldn't care less. You have no more care to give. I, hey regardless or irregardless whichever <laughs> you did it right <laughs> no, no, no. Regard- irregardless of that i think we should continue with this email. yeah all right i'm literally getting so mad at you right now <laughs> uh <clears throat> it says i am an l0 in houston texas and trying to get my handle on handling certain situations my question is say i am called over for a ruling uh say um somebody's doom blading a tasigur and tasigur is the only creature they control and i believe tasigur is black yes he is so that's the issue. Uh, but I see a Banishing Light on a Stormbreath Dragon. So Stormbreath Dragon has protection from white, and Banishing Light is uh, is a white enchantment. So it shouldn't, and it has an intersabbatical trigger, and it shouldn't have been able to trigger the Stormbreath Dragon in normal situations. Okay. And it is clear that it's been there for multiple turns. How do I go about this? Do I point it out, or do I only deal with the issue I was called over for? Thanks in advance for the help. Very respectfully, Josh Quimby. So... This is a good question. It's the kind of thing that comes up not infrequently. One of the things you have to ask yourself is, is it possible for this game to have gotten to this point? Um, Is this game state legal? So right now, it's not like we have a pacifism enchanting it, where that's obviously not legal, and we can apply state-based actions and fix it. The game state itself is not illegal. So let me give you an example. If I cast, say, Turn to Frog on your Stormbreath Dragon, I could Banishing Light at the same turn, because it no longer has any abilities. Um... But and, and that would just make it stay exiled. So, so the game state we have right now where it's exiled isn't actually illegal. So unless you suspect that you can bring it up to the players and say, hey, this isn't legal. How do we get to this point and investigate that? And you should do that because someone may have been doing something inappropriate. But you're not going to apply a fix to this game unless it was recent enough that you can back up. Now, here's here's the question. Let's say at, at obviously at FNM, you know, whatever, uh, but at competitive, okay, warnings, GRV, if, uh, if they're like, oh, yeah, I cast it when it was just a plain old Storm Breath Dragon. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, that's going to be a GRV for both players. Uh, no, no, that would be a GRV for one player and failure to maintain the game state for the other. Uh, player. you're right. Yep. Uh, I, saw, uh, I saw Exile. <laughs> uh, now you're right. I flubbed it. Just woke up. <laughs> Let me just write down this time to edit it out. Oh, hey now. <laughs> you know, uh, Kevin Binswinger, when we were in Dallas, I remember he said uh, he said he liked whenever we talk about in the show when we're going to edit something out and then we don't edit it out. Um, <laughs> if I might pull back the curtain here, that's on purpose. <laughs> if I meant to edit something out, you wouldn't hear it. Right. That's how that works. <laughs> right. Like that one episode. Yes, yes. Oh, gee. All right. Well, yes. But yes, you would give the infractions. It doesn't matter how long ago it happened. 
your guys' silence after I answered there was telling. Oh, I'm sorry. I was I was thinking of an extrapolated situation for this, but I don't want to get into it right now. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, what, what is the next email? We have uh, yeah. from Levi. It's the one from Levi. Okay. Levi. This came up previously, and we didn't know the correct answer. My opponent casts Dragonlord Silmgar, so that's the bro that when he enters the battlefield, he gains control of target creature or planeswalker for as long as you control Dragonlord Silmgar. Uh, he takes control of my only creature. Later on, I cast Pinion Feast, so that's his destroy target creature with flying, bolster two, targeting Dragonlord Silmgar. Would I be able to bolster the creature that Dragonlord Silmgar gained control of? All right. This one's this one's actually kind of fun. Yeah, so, I like it. so uh, uh, when you are resolving a spell or effect, you do all of the instructions in order. So, Pinion Feast says, you know, the first sentence is destroy target creature with flying. So we're gonna do that first. We're gonna destroy Dragon Lord. Uh, Dragon Lord, would you you called him a bro? Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna destroy our our dragon lord uh, Silumbro. S- Silumbro. Uh not Brolumgar. Brolumbro. 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 Bro. 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 Didn't uh, didn't Brogan get that written on her Starbucks uh, coffee mug, I coffee cup? It is quite possible. I I don't think I saw that. I miss. I I do enjoy Brogan's. Facebook photos. So, so this one judge, Brogan, uh, consistently goes to Starbucks and they mess up her name on Starbucks cups and she posts them on Facebook and it's hilarious. So call out to Brogan if you're listening. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, so Brogan, Brogan Lord, Brogan, Brolamgar, uh, says when uh, Dragon Lord Silmgar enters the battlefield, gain control of the target creature or planeswalker for as long as you control, uh, control Dragon Lord Silmgar. So that's one of those duration effects. So the instant uh, Dragonlord Silumgar, uh leaves the battlefield, you no longer control him. The control of that creature reverts back to you. So you have your your dude back before you bolster two, and so you you get him back and you can bolster him. Neat, neat. <laughs> Let me ask another uh, similar question with Brogan Bro Bro Bro. bro. A, Sil- a Silumgar question? Yes, Silumgar question. Um. Because we, we kind of had to rush through our FAQ episode, even though as great as it was to have Matt Tay back on, it meant we had a compressed schedule for it. Um, so let's say I resolve Dragonlord Silengar. I target my opponent's only creature, and in response to the trigger, they pinion feast my Silengar. Um, do I get that creature briefly, or like what happens there? No. So uh, so this is one of those things where it's if, uh, if the... For lack of a better phrase, I'm going to say if the duration ends before it would have began, then nothing happens. So it says, hey, you get this creature as long as you control him. And if you don't control him anymore before the trigger starts to resolve, you never you never get him in the first place. So it just it just kind of I'll say fizzles. (laughs) (laughs) We hate that term, but I mean, that's that's really it's a quick way to describe it. Yeah. If it if the duration ends before it would have began, no. Just nothing happens. Right. It doesn't change size or anything. All right, cool. All right, you guys can sit back on this next one because this is basically just reading. Uh, it's from Caleb. He says, I've been listening to JudgeCast for a while, and while listening to the last episode, I was thinking about one of the local judges here in Greenville. Usually, you tend to announce level three or four upgrades to judges. I think it would be neat if players, judges, etc. could send in a recommendation for local judges for what they do 
for the local community. This is mostly geared toward level one or level two judges, which tends to be the point of contact that players have with judges. While the judge program has built in ways to benefit or recognize judges as a player, I'm less sure that it recognizes local players' input on judges. Plus, since every judge really should listen to your podcast for the lulls of nothing else, it's a non-monetary way that players can recognize excellence in judging on the local level. So I want to stop here and talk about this point here. Um, I love the idea. Like, I think it's a really cool idea. I just don't know if we'd have the time to implement it on JudgeCast. Like, JudgeCast, you know, we're always trying to keep them around an hour. Now you look at last episode and it didn't get there. But um, because there's been all kinds of little segments we've thought up through the ages. Um, Do you guys remember random card ruling? I think we did it oh, once. Yeah, maybe twice. <laughs> yeah. Maybe? yeah. Did we even do it once? I think we did. I think we Why actually did it once. Uh, yeah, just little things. And, and it's just, you know, I don't know. We, we we end up filling up shows and we always had to drop something like we've been dropping emails lately. So um, as much as I like the idea, I don't think it's something we could actually implement. But the reason we're reading this email is because uh, Caleb actually recommended someone. And since this episode is dedicated emails, why not read who we recommended? He says, I'd like to recommend Brendan Watley, level one still, I think, for Judge of the Cast. I do like that segment title. Uh, when a new local store opened, Gnome and Gorilla Games, instead of just working the tournaments, standard Winnebox and modern Winnebox, Brendan went beyond just providing rulings, keeping time, posting parents, etc. Brendan spent time to write down recommendations for running future tournaments with equivalent or greater prizes. He's offered to loan cards to players who need them for tournaments, both major and minor. Quite often, he helps organize the local community in regards to going to larger events so that everyone who wants to can go, uh, wants to go, can carpool slash has a ride. He takes time to explain to players who don't understand in an interaction how the rules work so that they can learn instead of no. He's personally provided me tips for how to improve approach judging if I ever do end up choosing to become a judge. Plus, he's an all-around swell guy and one of the three reasons why I remain interested in becoming a judge. FYI, JudgeCast is still number one on that list. But he didn't tell us what the third reason is. Uh-oh. We'll never know. You can't list. You can't say there's three reasons for something and not give the three reasons. But I think Brendan listens well, to Well, hold on. I, th- I, think, I think you can for the following reasons. <laughs> uh, I think the three reasons are CJ, Jess, and Brian. Well, obviously. Obviously. All right. Well, okay. So did you mention the, uh, you mentioned the Magic Judge feedback form, right? Well, no. not just now, no. Oh, okay. So there's uh, a, there's a, there's a link that I just sent you, CJ, so you can put in the show notes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so you have a, you have a, there is a, a mechanism out there where you can fill out a form uh, that, that's good things or bad things. But in this, in the context of this email, we're looking for good things uh, about other judges. And then uh, those get forwarded to that judge's regional coordinator. So you have a mechanism if if a judge does something really, really awesome and you're really, really uh, proud of them or excited to have them in your community or you just want to to give them a, a, a pat on the back uh, and you want other people to know about it. Um, definitely use the uh, the magic judge feedback form to get that because we, we always say it's it's one thing it's one thing for you to say that you're doing great things but when other people say you're doing great things that's that's really that's really when you when you when you when you got it that's how you really know you're doing good stuff when other people talk about it yeah you can also go there to complain about judges but like except for the three of us except for the three of us 
only praise. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to. I know that Jess is writing about, you know, Brian likes Hex <laughs> on there. All right. Feedback. Our next email is from Jesse Mearing, and I'm not going to read this entire email, but the actual point at what he's getting at, I don't know, it's a pretty crazy rules interaction, if you ask me. So he has a civilized scholar, which is a double face card, and it says tap, draw a card, then discard a card. If a creature card is discarded this way, untap civilized scholar, then transform it. His question is if through whatever means, cytoshape, he makes civilized scholar a copy of itself until the end of turn, and he has a creature with dredge in his graveyard, can he tap the civilized scholar to draw a card, but he'll dredge that away and get the dredge card instead, then discard the dredge card, which will then untap the civilized scholar and quote unquote transform it, but not really because of how copy effects work, how we'll get into it in just a second, and thus use this to mill out his entire deck for presumably nefarious purposes. Does this work? It's really the, it does so, work. Yeah, so everything there is pretty straightforward except for the the transforming it when it's a copy of itself. Like, what happens there? So if you transform it while it's a copy of itself, then, I mean, you you it will transform, it will turn over, but even though it now says Reckless Brood on it, it's still a civilized scholar until it turn. Yeah. Yeah, if the, the copy the copy is like if you think of the layers, the copy effect is sitting on top of the physical card, and the physical card will be flipping over back and forth underneath the copy effect, but the copy effect is still what the game sees. Yep. Now it's it's uh it, depending on what colors you're in, and if you're dredging you're probably in black. Uh, as a side note, it's probably easier to accomplish this by just using the ability with Necrotic Ooze. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Since it will attempt to transform and fail to do so. Oh, yep. There you go. So that's another option for your, your crazy deck of awesomeness. I look forward to seeing it work. I, I had an idea similar to that with uh, Golgari Thug. So well, good luck. I hope it works out. All right. So let's... uh. We only have a few left. Let's try to power through. I think we can get through them all. All right. Our next email is from Sergio. Sergio. Uh, he says, hi, my name is Sergio. I will let you guess where I'm from. It's a country that starts with M and ends in Mexico. So, uh, mirror, mirror Mexico. Miss, miss Switzerland, Mexico. I don't know. I can't figure it out. It's um, America, Mexico. America. America, Mexico. So he has a couple of quick questions. Uh, I, his first question is about Icefall Regent, which okay. says... Does it cost two more to count? And the answer is uh, no. <laughs> uh, spells your opponent's cast that target Icefall Regent cost two more to cast. And yes, that's the question. Does it cost two more to counter? Why not? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, so this ability, uh, any ability that doesn't specify where what zone it functions in on a permanent will function while it's on the battlefield. Um, it, it functions in the only... Like, if it can function in the battlefield, that's the only zone it functions in. Yeah. Oh, all right. That's it. All right. His next question is about Splinter Fright. So Splinter Fright is a, a creature that has power and toughness each equal to the number of creature cards it is in your graveyard. So he has a Splinter Fright out, and he has 10 creatures in his graveyard. He says his opponent is 11, and then he has a Gerard Gugari Lich Lord, and he uses its activated ability. And its activated ability is sacrifice another creature. Each opponent loses life equal to the sacrificed creature's power. So his question is, since Splinter Fright has its characteristic defining ability, in the graveyard it's going to be an 11-11. 
how much damage does his opponent take when he uses Gerard's ability? Uh, it's going to be uh, ten. Ten. Yep. Yep. Okay, and that's and that's because the life loss is based on uh, the power of the, the the creature as it last existed on the battlefield. And when it was last on the battlefield, it had a power of ten. This is an easily confused interaction. It is actually because there are there are some counter examples that will specify rather than specifying a creature, which implies creature permanent, they will specify a card. And if it specifies a card, it will track it as it goes to different zones. But this is not one of those cases. Yeah, um, yeah, I would say it's only last year I really, really started to grasp like how to tell the difference. Um, another example I used here in the in the email was like, say you had a bear cub out and you giant growth it, and you used Gerard there. Uh, I think everyone would expect the opponent to lose five life. So I think when you have that situation, it's kind of clear that mm-hmm. it looks at it on the battlefield. But when you get into this. These CDAs, I don't know, it just starts to mess with your brain. I think it's actually a really good example. It's an excellent example. Yep. All right. Next email is from David. He says, hey, yo, Judge Cast. Hey, yo. Hey, yo. This one's kind of a weird one. He said, recently I had a player ask me about enrolling in two events at once, and I always thought you, that you were not allowed to be enrolled in two events at the same time in real life, unlike uh, Modo. Um, I remember being told this at big events years back, GP or SCG Open, but after reviewing the IPG and MTR, I could not find anything that actually disallows it. So, can you enroll in two events at once? This is a great question because of exactly what you said, which is that um, that that you can't find anything in the IPG and MTR, and this is one of those shadowy corners where you 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 find a rule that's not technically tournament policy that that does exist. Um, this question was asked a lot when Planeswalker points initially came about. When was that? 2012, I think. Um, yeah. So, so, so when that, when Planeswalker points first became a thing, the question was asked a lot, can I play in two events at once? Because people wanted to enroll in side events at a GP while they were in the main event at the GP. Um, and while it is technically fine to play in two tournaments at once, it is not fine to enroll in a, tur- a tournament without the intent to play in it. Yeah. Uh, and just to get the, the extra little boost of Planeswalker points. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so so if you if you enroll in two tournaments and you somehow intend to play in both of them at the same time, uh, that's that's fine. You can do that. In fact, I even have done that in the case of of uh, of two tournaments butting up against each other where I had to finish the last round and then I went into a sealed event and had less time for deck construction um, or things of that nature. So it's it's technically allowed. Yeah, and that makes sense. And there's also there's also just the case of you're in a pptq or whatever pptq and you're you're kind of out but you're like well i'll sign right. up for this draft right but the draft hasn't fired yet and you're just gonna keep playing and concede right. now to answer the other part of the question the to can forbid this uh the to can be like nope in order to play this other event you have to drop from the first one uh that's fine for him to say him or her to say yeah right. i seem to i seem to recall i seem to recall like if if for the player meeting the player's not there i want i want to so you have a player, he's enrolled in the event, player meeting, he's not there. Isn't there something about dropping him a while uh, if back? It's, if, you can, if you can drop him before the event starts, like with a sealed event, or if you have a player meeting for a constructed mm-hmm. event, that's actually fine. Uh, he yeah. will just not be in the event. Right. And then you don't you don't get any Planeswalker points. Yeah, if you're not like paired that. for round one, you shouldn't get any Planeswalker points. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, assuming the software does what it's supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> 
which is not as strong an, uh, an assumption as it should be. <laughs> All right. Let's go out on one more, and it's, it's a fun one. Uh, it's from Calvin from London, Ontario, which doesn't sound real. I was wondering about certain statuses of cards. If I have a Kamigawa card flipped, say the fantastically named Stab Whisker the Odious. Yes. That is a fantastic <laughs> name. <laughs> I have Nizumi Shortfang flipped into Stab Whisker the Odious, and my opponent plays an Ixadron. Uh, so Ixadron will turn the Stab Whisker the Odious face down. If my opponent then casts Break Open, targeting the face down Stab Whisker, when it is turned face up, is it an Azumi Short Fang or a Stab Whisker the Odious? I know that status changes don't affect other statuses, so I think it makes sense that it turns face up with Stab Whisker. I just wanted to check. Thanks for your help, Calvin. So let's so let's just remind people what what flip cards were. Uh, yeah. So. Back in Kamigawa, transform half baked. That's what they were. Okay? <laughs> they were they were transforms transforms little 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 brother uh, or older uh, older brother that they were. It's disappointing older brother. Yes. D- yeah. There you go. Disappointing <laughs> older brother. So he didn't so what quite it was, finish college. <laughs> he did, he's still like like transform cards went on and like uh, are the CEO of a startup and uh, the older brother. He's still uh, he's. Still living in his parents' basement, uh, getting high on the weekends and not making anything of himself. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. He tried so, once, but he's never coming back. So, so flip cards, flip cards, as they were called from Kamigawa, is a card that the the rules text of it is actually on top of the art. Is the text box is above the art, um, and it has some art on it, and it has a certain condition that when met, it allows you to flip the card. Now, with transform cards, you pick the card up and you turn it over. With flip cards, you just rotate that on. You rotate it 190 degrees, so you tap it, and then you you tap it again. Essentially, you keep tap. You tap it really hard. <laughs> you, just, you just tap it 180 degrees, and then it has a new name and new. Uh, a new text box, and the way they did the art, it has newish art. Like the art was, yeah, the art was set up so that you could flip it, and it would, it would, there would be something if it was upside down. Um, some of the arts are actually really sweet. Yes, some of the art is really, really awesome, and some of the names. Oh, Stab Whisker the Odious is is <laughs> such a great name. Um, so that's so that's what uh, uh, flip cards are. So, uh, so Netsumi Shortfang is a is for one in a black is a rat rogue, a one one with one B tap target opponent discards a card. Then, if that player has no cards in his hand, flip Netsumi Shortfang, and he becomes Stab Whisker the Odious, legendary creature Rat Shaman. Which is a three three at the beginning of each opponent's upkeep. That player loses one life in uh, for each card fewer than three in his or her hand. So I mean, if they were to do that nowadays, this would totally be a transform a double face card because because right. there's it's so much better. But forever shall the game have the baggage of the Kamigawa flip cards. Well, yeah, I mean, if they did something with two faces, it's going to ruin Magic, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh man, can you imagine if they did like a Planeswalker with two faces? Jeez, they, that, that was awful. done in Innistrad. That was done with the initial. Two oh, faces. that's right. Was, <laughs> yeah, it was. Way right. to go. Well, what if what if it was even worse? What if it was like a planeswalker on one side and like a creature on the other? Now you're just grasping his straws. That'd be weird. What if you like moon misted it? That wouldn't even work. 
All right. What if you made it a werewolf? <laughs> <laughs> no, Loomis transforms all humans. Yeah. So oh, is it? Yeah, but yeah, they don't. That's so awkward. But because they're not oh, getting. Oh, that's super awkward. Yeah. You're right, isn't it? They won't have any loyalty. They die. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> okay. So if you don't know what we're talking about, we're referencing the spoiled cards for uh, Magic Origins, which is the next core set, uh, which are transform cards that are creatures on one side and planeswalkers on the other. Uh, and if they just transform like that, they would have no loyalty. So that's kind of hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's get back to. Yes. So he's asking. So he has a uh, a, a, a flipped card, uh, Stab Whisker the Odious, plays the Ixdron, it gets turned face down. Okay, then the opponent casts Break Open, so it gets turned face back, uh, back face up. Is it Natsumi Shortfang? Does it does it lose its flipped status? It does not lose its flipped status. No. In fact, not even when it's face down. So yep. when it's a face down creature, it still has its flip status. So it is a right. flipped yep. face down, uh, face down. So there is no, there is definitely no question as to which card is your stab whisker the odious because it should be upside down relative to all the other cards. Yep. So <laughs> even though, even though it's face down, which, which card is flipped is a reasonable question to ask and they have to yeah. answer. Yeah, and, and so like you guys keep saying, it's a status, right? So if it was yep. tapped, right, no one would expect it to become untapped just because it got put face down. And it's the exact same thing. Exact same thing as being tapped. It's super tapped. And so it doesn't become unsuper tapped when yeah, it uh, super tapped. turned face down or per- turned face up. Hey, so we're talking about super tapped. Do you guys you guys realize in the rules, um, it defines tapped as turning ninety degrees, but it doesn't specify whether you turn it clockwise or counterclockwise. Oh no. So you could tap it counterclockwise, and that's fine. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> it, it, it is technically fine, but so is playing with lands in front. <laughs> right, right. I was about to. I was about to. Say, you think you think it's playing right lands up there in with front? Lands. You think right playing lands, lands in front irritates people? Try tapping counterclockwise. <laughs> I like playing lands all over the place, personally. I would I would love it if somebody on this on a stream somewhere like on coverage just tapped in the wrong direction and just watched the chat room explode. I know. <laughs> somebody do that. Okay, so there's no more emails. Although I did want to mention uh, a long time ago we had Rob Cronister. He he um someone else I don't even have his name. I feel bad, but someone else actually had lyrics. They wrote song lyrics as like their greetings to us in an email. And then Rob Cronister was able to put it to music and sing it. Um, and we only ever played that once. And since this was an email show, we thought we'd play it one more time. Uh, but I'll put that on after the show. But we should awesome. get more traction out of that thing because it was sweet. No, it it no. is sweet. It's awesome. It is. It could just be our opening show. Our opening. <laughs> it's probably outdated. I don't know. <laughs> All right, guys. You ready? Oh, I guess I should do contact information. Uh, if you out there want to email us and one day have it possibly read on the air, no guarantees, uh, you can email us at judgecast at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash judgecast. However, we do have a bit of news to discuss. Yes, that news is that um, in uh, in 2020, I will be eligible for the Hall of Fame. That That's Ooh. the news. Hey, just, hey, that's also the same year that I'm eligible for the <laughs> Hall of Fame. CJ, when are you eligible for the Hall of Fame? Well, if I made L3, I would also be eligible but in 2020. So I just got to awesome. make L3 by 2020, <laughs> and I will so be eligible. 
what we're talking about is uh, this new thing uh, that's going to come out. It's the the Magic Judge Hall of Fame, and it mirrors in many ways the Pro Tour Hall of Fame, its voting system and such. Um, so pretty soon you're going to see some inductions of uh, the Magic Judge Hall of Fame. And along with that, they are retiring what was previously the Judge Emeritus status for retired level five judges, and they are being retroactively inducted into the magic judge hall of fame i uh heard you on on a different podcast jess and you mentioned my inability to pronounce portcullis portcullis uh porky porky just go with porky so if you also want to hear me mispronounce a word it's it's what um it's the word you said a little bit ago Uh, emeritus yes (laughs) i'm not even sure i'm pronouncing it i don't know i don't know because i couldn't possibly call you on it because i've said it wrong every time Emeritus? That's what I say. Joshua Carr is the guy that wrote the uh, wrote the song lyrics. Oh, okay. Yeah. He he was the uh, the inspiration. Yes, thank you, Joshua. Thank you. Thank you, Brian, for looking that up. Um, so what's what's gonna be the policy? How does somebody get into the Hall of Fame? So that's a good question. Now there are gonna be a series of catch up votes this year. Um, so what I am de- so, so what I'm describing is gonna happen a few times this year, but after that uh, after next year, it will only happen once a year. So annually, the level three plus judges and the judge manager, uh, who at the moment is Andy Hecht, will get to vote on, uh, or rather not vote, they will get to nominate their choices from a ballot that is all of the level three judges that are in good standing and L3 have, plus. I'm sorry, L3 plus judges who are in good standing and have, uh, and have been a magic judge certified, uh, for at least 10 years, um, and they will get to give five nominations. And any judge who has nominations on more than on 40% or more of the ballot will be inducted, uh, I believe, for the following year into the Hall of Fame. I don't think they stated when the induction time is, actually. But uh, they'll be inducted into the Magic Judge Hall of Fame to be remembered for all of their good things forever yeah. and ever. Amen. Right. And if and if nobody get, breaks 40%, they will take the judge that they will take the one judge that got the highest number of votes. Yes. And this is I think that's uh, because early on there are going to be so many judges on this ballot. Uh, I think that's a reasonable policy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because I, I, it's, very, it's very possible that that there are just way too many judges to nominate. Right. Uh, you're going to get you're going to get some years where it's just like like, wow, there's a lot of there's a lot of judges, you know, like I will without without being glib. Uh, 2020 has a lot of solid, uh, 2020 is going to be a rough year. 2020 is an insane year. If you look at the L3s and the probably soon L3s that, uh, that certified that year, and that that was a huge year for judge expansion. Uh, and we got a lot of really good judges out of that year. So, um, realistically, although we're joking about it, um, I don't expect to be inducted into the Magic (laughs) Judge Hall of Fame that year. Uh, that is just the first year I am eligible, and I, I, I will be happy just to see my name on the ballot. Yeah, you'll you'll be fine going in the next year. I mean, you're I would, picky. yeah, I'd be, I'd be fine. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'll settle. That's not the power of positive thinking. <laughs> hey, just do judge us for five more years. We'll see. Right. Oh, we we're gonna start campaigning now. Vote for me, twenty twenty. Twenty twenty. All right. Vote right. plenty, twenty twenty. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Anything else you guys want to say about the Hall of Fame? Uh, no. There, there'll be a link to the information in the show notes as well. You can link to that Reddit thread. No. <laughs> we don't need to talk about that. All right, guys, you got anything? Any other last things you want to say before we wrap up? I don't think so. I no, want... I got to I got to head judge the first uh, uh the first RPTQ this past weekend. 
Uh, it was uh, small, <laughs> I guess. You know, see, you, we had, had, you had a, like a moderately sized one too. I, yeah, I know. I like, know we you had, were in the sixties, right? Yeah, I had sixty-two. Yeah, uh, I had two other judges, uh, Justin Ricks and David Green, were there helping me out in Jacksonville, and we got it done despite uh, uh, the power going out. Nice. Um, yes, but it was still light outside, like a lightning bolt hit a transformer, and there was this big green explosion. It was really cool. Um, uh, but we had these big giant windows, so we were able to finish the event with daylight. Um, and also, this this is going to be um, uh, some someone of you, someone someone broke the bathroom. Uh, okay. Yeah, like like broke it. Uh, so public service announcement, uh, guys, uh, don't stick paper towels in the. Don't try and flush paper towels. It doesn't do what you think it's supposed to do. All kinds of education on this episode Just say of Judgecast. It. All right. Well, I think with that lovely note, I can wrap up the show. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. All right. Well, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. My name is CJ Schrader. I keep it fair. I'm Jess Dunks. I keep it fun. I'm Brian Prillman. Vote for me 2020. Dismissed into dreams